Welcome to episode 313 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Harmony Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Hello. All right, so we have some fact checks from last week. Uh, the first one was we were talking about the new Swift UI um, uh, edition of the core data template in uh, Xcode 12.5. And I think, what, two days ago, Xcode 12.6 came out, beta. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I did take a, I took the um, the core data for spin last week, and we were, we were discussing how that works. And actually, what uh, way it works is they actually add a persistence file, Swift file, to the project. And so your uh, persistent, is it coordinator persistence? Persistence coordinator, it's in there. Um, that's the new, the new, the new thing. Container is that what it's called? Persistence. Uh, I forget now. Persistent store container or something like that. Yeah, I should know that. Up, yeah, but I forget. Yeah, I'll just open up the app real quick. Um, do some live follow up here. Persistent Swift file and uh, the yeah, it creates a shared uh, persistence controller. Persistent container. Support. NS persistent container. Well, it creates a persistence controller here as a struct, right? Yeah. And okay. then uh, I think that yeah, that that has a container as part of it, I guess. Right, right. So the persistent container is the actual core data thing. Piece, yeah. And so the controller must be the bridge to SwiftUI. Right, right. right. And it's, uh, and the container is an an instance of an NS persistent container, Mm -hmm. right? So, and that creates the magic. So yeah, so then you, you know, in your, somebody was asking about this on team the other day, and uh, so yeah, so you create, use an environment variable to bring in a managed object context Mm -hmm. into your, into your classes and then uh, your fetch request, and at, at fetch request, I guess that's a new property wrapper to bring in, you know, your sort descriptor key paths, you know, stuff like that, right? That's going to pull your, your records out of, of your out of your store. What do you call this, the the, mod, the XC data model D? Is that the mob thing, mom thing or the whatever? Mob, manage object model? Yeah, is that what the, the, the actual file thing so is? That- there's two forms of it. So if you just have a single one, the first time you make it, it's, a, it's just a mom manage object model file. But then okay. as soon as you do a migration, it converts it to a directory with a bunch of mom files in it, and that's called the mom right, mom right. D file, the manage object uh, model directory. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So this is an XE data model D, but, but I get technically it's a, this since there's only one instance of it, there's been no changes to it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a single file, but yeah, as you're right. As soon as I created a, a, a added change, used it and then changed it, it would it would uh, if I went in and changed some some configuration on it, it would it would then create different versions of it, right? Mm-hmm. And then you do migrations from one to the other. Yeah, so I'm it's funny because some people were were, were throwing some shade at core data on twitter as well which i found interesting what? who would do that i know eh like i have no idea you know i guess they like their crud anyway yeah so that's our follow-up on or fact check actually on the uh how core data works in swift ui i mean previously you had to create an uh you had to have an app with an app delegate or you had to add an app delegate to basically have the to bring in the, the persistence container no well you controller. don't have to do it in your app delegate well you had but you had to you had to have an like before the swift ui added it to because like, this is a native swift ui app that we're doing or talking mm-hmm. about here right yeah if you wanted to do it before paul hudson had a way i think it was paul hudson or muhammad azam had had an example of how to add core data to an existing swift ui app um and he, he was using he was basically adding an app de- you know an NS object app delegate mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. to basically contain that stuff but i guess uh the f- folks over at apple or swift or whoever have uh swift is, would it be swift.org or apple that would do this i guess it's apple right i would think that would be apple it's not part of the it's not part of the swift language yeah so so created 
the way to, to do that. So cool. Mm-hmm. The next thing I mentioned, Dr. Tam, her actual name is Dr. Teresa Tam, and she's the chief public health officer for Canada. Um, so yeah, she's been uh, our, our sort of, you know, our, what do you call it? Voice of voice of reason through this whole pandemic in Canada. Anyway, so she's on you know, speaking all the time. She's always, you know, uh, whenever there's some official thing coming down from the government of Canada, she's she's the one laying it down for folks. And Jaime, you have some follow up or fact check? Yeah, we were wondering why Siri had triggered. And when I was listening to the episode, somewhere around 30 minutes and 16 seconds in, I didn't keep a very good time code. I just sort of paused it around when I heard you say previously which appears to have been understood as right. hey followed by the word Siri by whatever hmm. device was around you at that time. Yeah, previous Siri, previous Siri. <laughs> you 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 said it in a way that like I said, "Oh, that would kind of make sense why it might have mistakenly triggered." Cuz in the moment I didn't notice, but this time I kind of knew where that was and was sort of vaguely paying attention to see what you might have said that would have triggered it. Yeah, and for those of you driving at home, it was my iPad Pro 11-inch with the uh which sits, you know, at my at my left hand because you know that's where I do all my WebEx meetings and stuff like that during the day. So there you go. All right. So how about some Ask MTJC? I think we have a few things. I mean, yeah, it looks like a couple of things that uh, you had tagged. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, George Tuparev had uh, put up here that NS operations or operations and operation queues are a good way to encapsulate pipeline operations and, and in a general way support good design. GCD is a good schedule lightweight task that is not part of complex workflow. So, yeah. Well, while that is true, I would argue that, uh, and in the old days, that was much more true that uh, GCD could not be used to encapsulate pipeline operations. But now that you have dispatch work items, I'm not sure that this is as strong a statement as it once was. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, my old thinking says that, you know, GCD came first, NS operations came second, and it added a sort of a much more user-friendly API to it and uh, to the whole operations thing. Oh. And then you're right. But, but NS yeah. operations were first, I believe. Oh, were they? Yeah, but they weren't based on GCD at the beginning. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I see. I learned it the other way around. Hmm. Maybe my maybe my uh, whoever I learned that from was was incorrect. Um, I think this reply here that I put with the Ask MTJC, I mean, is the one that I replied here from my own account is the wrong wrong reply. I replied to the wrong tweet. Interesting. Well, but yeah, no, I did. I did. Yeah, the, I I might have linked the wrong one just because of the way that Twitter's web UI shows. But I'd seen that you were responding that you'd had a similar sort of thing that happened to you. So what we're talking about is this tweet by Zach Wood about how he yeah, 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 submitted yeah, yeah. a minor yeah. update for Addicts app after nearly two years in the App Store and Apple has decided out of nowhere that I've been engaging in a, quote, a pattern of manipulative or misleading behavior and has permanently terminated his account. No evidence or specific reasons given. He does have a happier update that uh, Addicts has been approved and my account will no longer be terminated. Apparently, my app has been copied across the App Store many times and it wasn't caught that mine was the original. Thank you, everyone, right. for spreading this to helping me keep my account. Yeah, and I think I replied that uh, I had a similar thing happen. We talked about, I think, last year when, when or maybe two years ago, when I was challenged by another copyright holder about the use of the, use of the name Device Tracker. And uh, Apple, you know, Apple will, will put the two of you together, but they won't take a side. And then um, I was able to prove by finding the original email that I had actually had the app on the App Store in early, either early 2011 or late 2000. 
second hand. So, and he kind of went, okay, fine. You know, as long as you promise not to do this particular feature in your app, which I didn't really promise I would do, but because I was there first. Anyway, it was sort of like a, you know, petty argument. But I mean, and the other reason why I tagged this one is Ask MTJC. It was very specifically is because the app Addicts is about streaming Grateful Dead concerts, Mark. Wait, which app is that? <laughs> it's called Addicts app or Addicts. Oh, as in Addicts of my life? Uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, you're talking to the wrong people. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I've, I guess I've always been surprised copied... by that, Tim, that you weren't more of a Grateful Dead fan because of the rest of the music I'm that you listen sort to. Of a, sort of a Grateful Dead fan. I, mean, I came I came yeah. to them like late in life when mm-hmm. that sort of I Will Survive song came out. Yeah. yeah I mean, I knew of them, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the time frame I did too, but but uh, mainly because I'm so much younger than you. <laughs> yes, I'm older than that now. <laughs> Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just, I don't know. Just, just never, never sort of, uh, never really. I don't really know any Grateful Dead fans here in Toronto. Like, you know, most of my fans were, they were into prog rock and stuff like that, but they weren't necessarily, or punk or new wave and stuff like that, but they weren't necessarily into the dead, you know? So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Other than the cool artwork, but you know. The artwork yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah. It was pretty cool. But anyway, just, yeah. So yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, but I mean, the other thing to talk about here too is, is that, that you know how unceremoniously Apple decided to remove this guy's app was just sort of he according to him his story is that you know he got this this letter that uh, we've completed our investigation and determined that your app developer program and determined that he's going to like cancel his membership like without any review or any chance of I don't know how one comes back from that when they say they're just going to terminate your app for being yeah. a bad guy when you know he was he was not the smoking gun in this case right so mm-hmm. like it would it, it, I would think that Apple would sort of give you a heads up that you're you're being screwed or whatever, right? Like, I guess, I guess it's like you know, innocent until pro- or guilty until proven innocent. You know, just interesting story from an app developer point of view. So let's see. In the update, did he say? Oh, his his app had been copied across the app store many times, and it wasn't caught that his was the original. Got it. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I don't fully understand why this happens with Apple. You would think that all right, we have discovered that there is this weird pattern of apps that all seem the same, which I mean, feels like it needs an extra level of. Uh, investigation if you're Apple because guess what? There's like bazillions of apps in the App Store. Of course, many of them are very similar. So they've done something to determine this is like an actual literal copy. Somebody is spamming the App Store with these. What I don't understand is why they don't go the extra step of saying, cool, well, what if one of these is original? We should take a look at the database or some other lookup tool that says, you know, is is one of these sort of weirdly different than the others? That it was sort of the original that came out days, weeks, months, years prior to these other ones coming out, maybe that one is one we should take an extra look at. Rather than making the assumption that since they're all the same, they must it must be one person just putting out all of them, like was happening a lot, right? I, I, I imagine that they put these checks in back when there were these companies that would put out 30 different versions of the same app with just, you know, a slightly different icon or something to try to spam. Mm-hmm. So they probably put these checks in place and and weren't careful enough in, in their logic to, to not get a false positive here. Or maybe, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I want to be giving Apple the benefit of the doubt on this one, but but maybe they are of the attitude that we'd rather have a false positive and, and pull out an innocent person and then put them back in later than to have a guilty person in there. So I mean, that's kind of, I, I don't know mm. if that even makes sense to do, but that would fit the behavior, I suppose. Right, right. Mm. Of course, there are other people who are who are saying that similar things happen to them as well. But yeah, it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's odd and scary 
and whatever, right? So I am looking up this app right now just to see what it's all about. <laughs> I should have just bought it for you and sent it over to you. Anyway, it's free. Um, you didn't have it's to buy free. it. Free, of course, it's free. It's like he's streaming Grateful Dead stuff, um, which is kind of funny because like streaming is one of those things where you know if you if you follow YouTube uh, people at all, and especially on music, uh, there's a lot of blocking that happens with copyright holders and stuff like that, right? So well, so there is something called the Grateful Dead Archive, and most of the Grateful Dead music, live music, uh, is actually online on this one site. So there's a history, a cultural history of the people who used to follow the band around. Uh, the band used to allow recording at the show, uh, so people would have some bring, bring some pretty sophisticated setups into the show. In fact, it, it was so entrenched that you would you could buy a special taper ticket. It was a special type of ticket, and there were a limited number of them, but oh, it would give you ticket. Okay, taper right. ticket, right? It would give you access to a certain area of the floor of the show where all the other tapers were and all, and everyone in there could set up their microphones and all their equipment and so you could get much much more higher quality than the typical you know guy up in the in 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 seat 312 with his you know recording on his uh on his iphone, iPhone <laughs> recording 3G, the show yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course iphones didn't exist back then but back then it was people with those you know those little uh cassette tape walkmans. recorders yeah, walkmans, yeah. Or, even before walkmans yeah uh, and, and the, the real no, the no, the motor would make no more noise than the band, right, and yeah. all the people around talking. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's definitely the level of there's audience tapes, and then there's there's of course there's nothing was as good as the soundboard tapes where someone had the right connection where they could just plug right into the soundboard and and, and record it uh, not digitally at the time, but but record directly from the feed. So it was a almost pristine sound. But some of the tapers got almost the soundboard level because the the, the setups were so sophisticated. But anyway, so there was the whole whole history of that, uh, and and the band was fine with that. So there was this whole culture of trading tapes for free, and and pretty much almost all the shows after you know the real early days, almost all the shows there's a, there's a record of somewhere. So they, when the internet came along, they put these all online onto this. This is one site called the Grateful Dead Archive, which has all this, all this music uh, digitally recorded. The exception is anything they released as a commercial release. You know, if you can go buy the CD somewhere, then you can't get that show usually on on the site. But anyway, so that's oh, did they rec- did they release a lot of live shows? Oh, lots, tons of commercial, them, tons of them. Yeah. Really? Oh, yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, mostly after the band stopped existing, so it wasn't you know so much the band that did it. It was there you know their company uh that did it but uh but yeah there's tons of them out there yeah um and it looks like what this app really is is just a uh a way of uh of streaming from that site and playing the shows which is fine you know. yeah cool. yeah for sure mm-hmm. all right um yeah so in so uh, following up from last week i was talking about setup uh with uh, josh michaels was talking about how being on there and um setup had announced that they're coming out with setup for ios now and uh so i mean that's sort of a tricky thing like it, what it is 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 you will basically buy a subscription to the setup uh, for ios app and then app publishers can join and become part of the setup family um there's a number of like i mean a number of um, Notable apps on the on the setup on the Mac. Um, obviously, clean clean my Mac is uh, the, from the Mac Mac Paw company. Is the there are people behind setup, so their product is obviously there as well. But like I use an FTP client from it. Uh, you can get Ulysses for writing, which I I don't use myself. But uh, there's some web tools on there as well that are pretty pretty popular Mac apps. But in the case of this iOS thing, obviously the questions come into being like you know, and they've they've addressed them in this short little uh, email I posted or blog post I posted here um, about 
about you know the apps that are going to be in the setup store, setup uh, available through the setup group or subscription are apps that are currently uh, have passed Apple Store review. They're not like you know sort of uh, side loading kind of. You're not side loading apps that haven't been approved. Um, it's just that the, like the setup will handle the the sort of finances of of uh, dealing with stuff. And you know as somebody who who like myself who makes pizza money. Um, I mean if you have a better than pizza money app but you're not quite there you know in terms of marketing and, and spreading the word and all that kind of stuff uh, joining a, a, a what do you call it um, a compendium like setup might be worth worth your while to sort of uh, help distribution I mean back in the shareware days there were companies that would handle the sort of distribu- you know the manufacturing and the putting of discs and the packaging and handling the money and that kind of stuff like Kaji was one that we used to use back in the day but uh, so shareware you know so that individual people wouldn't have to mom and pops wouldn't have to sort of you know deal with the distribution part of it so and that's kind of sort of where this setup comes in is that um also you know the benefit of being in the group uh is that you get the, the halo effect of being you know introduced to people who you would who would no, maybe not able to find your app in the first place right i think we've, we've talked many times about the app store search is kind of a broken thing right so and in what there's billions of apps out there now right i guess right so um yeah so just an interesting thing it's set up for ios is coming and uh, it's been approved by apple and all that kind of stuff so we'll have to keep an eye on it see how that goes right so, and i you know as a test for more than just code i basically bought a subscription to uh set up i think it cost me 14 dollars canadian every month and uh yeah i've just i've never seen a reason to cancel it so you know like i said i use i use a handful of apps um regularly with it and uh, away we go so behind me you got something horrendous from the lightroom folks yeah uh, apparently if you had updated to adobe's lightroom app on iphone and ipad specifically version 5.4.0 and if you were not using the Lightroom cloud option uh, you may be missing photos and presets Um, and it sounds like they were hard wiped or something because uh, there's a patched version 5.4.1 that prevents the issue from affecting additional customers but does not restore missing photos or presets so that sounds like either you know irreparable harm for data corruption or more likely data deletion I would guess yeah I don't use Lightroom. I wonder if they're are, are they using because like, they're talking about here using your iCloud to restore your your back your files. But are they tapping into the photo library and and maybe that's where people were losing files or do they they separate them out and I I assume there was like a local database because it says here if you didn't sync to to Lightroom Cloud and I'm just going to assume that that's different and, and distinct from usage of iCloud for for photos and stuff right. So as I understand it, like if you had synced to Lightroom Cloud, you're in a non-issue status, right? You're like, oh, everything's fine. Um, say that Lightroom 5.4 just randomly decides to start deleting stuff. That's okay. It starts pulling stuff back. You know, if it deleted locally, it starts pulling back down from the cloud. No harm, no foul. Um, but if you were using this in uh, presumably some you know disconnected mode where you you didn't uh, have the Lightroom Cloud backup option, then it sounds like your your data might be just pull up gone unless you lucked out that you also had information separately in iCloud. Ironically, I have a uh, Adobe Photo subscription, which gives me access to Photoshop and Lightroom. I've just never installed Lightroom. I guess I dodged that bullet. It's one of those tricky things, and it's a big reason why, um, you know, I, it's not a, a great solution. There's many problems with this, but I do have uh, both iCloud backing up my photos, and I have Google Photos. I have that app that separately backs up photos, um, and deleting from one or the other doesn't impact uh, either side, unless you really want it to. Um, and it's not a great solution, but it's a better than this solution. 
solution where hypothetically I could pull from one or the other. Um, and I kind of think that that might be an approach that, that folks might consider taking with stuff that they're very sensitive about that, you know, you might want to have a Dropbox or Google Drive, Microsoft OneDrive, iCloud, you know, there's like a million different options out there, but you might want to consider having more than one in case one provider does something like this, you know, there's a obviously a horrendous bug that got out and uh, you'll have some sort of um, way to, to accommodate getting back to normal or at least close to it. Yeah. And the average consumer isn't necessarily going to be in a backup expert, right? So they kind of rely on, on these systems to work for them. Yeah. So I, I got a story here. This is following up on the, I think following up on the Epic story we talked about last week. Um, we were talking about some of the uh, potential, you know, we were guessing that there might have been some some deals with between Amazon. Like for instance, when they brought HBO uh, on board uh, with their app and, and, you know, I'm sure that Apple and Adobe had some sort of deal, but uh, it does show that, uh, does show here in this article that uh, Amazon Prime was offered, uh, Amazon Prime Video on iOS and Apple TV was offered a deal, uh, you know, sort of a lower commission rate, I guess, to to get um, get apps on the App Store. So like, for instance, here that uh, in this excerpt here, it says 15% revenue share for customers that sign up using the app um, through through Apple, right, as opposed to subscriptions. So it's kind of, I think, you know, like, I think we talked about it a little bit last week that that uh, um, Epic kind of sort of went about this the wrong way by by trying to poke the bear rather than, you know, feeding the bear some some nice honey first of all, you know. Um, so uh, just interesting that, that you know, there there actually is some, some evidence that, uh, or some, you know, proof here that uh, Apple created a, an arrangement with Amazon to, to help, you know, get their product. And obviously for obvious reasons, you know, I think it's, it's good to have Amazon Prime on the Apple TV. That's how I use mine, as well as, you know, all the other ways you can get it. But uh, it makes it uh, seem more seamless, right? So Yes, I think this is not surprising and, and even, you know, maybe even not so bad. I mean, companies do this all the time, right? Um, yeah, it's, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's business. And, you know, if Amazon is big enough that Apple decided it was worth their while to, to give them the discount to guarantee that they'd be on the platform and epic you know i, I don't know the de- of course i don't know the details of what happened with epic if they even tried or maybe they didn't you know they weren't willing to compromise compromise enough or maybe apple just didn't see enough value or who, who knows who knows um but yeah but i'm not too surprised if this stuff happens sure yeah i mean it does say here in the letter that that uh, bezos um, was holding out for uh, acceptable business terms here in air quotes right mm-hmm. um from apple before he would let uh, the 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 product onto the set tops box but i mean it helps apple like helps apple by having the product with the app on the app store because you know people already some people already have prime and you know away they go right so yeah good. i think it's good for everybody and it's interesting i think i mentioned before that like if i'm if i'm trolling around on, on the apple tv interface looking for something to watch and i click on a, an item that's actually available on prime it does actually launch the prime app and for me so it's kind of a seamless experience that way like when i'm using the apple tv right mm-hmm. there's sort of a main menu that I can go in and choose what media I want to consume, and, and depending on what app I have installed, it'll either run an Apple, the Apple app, or Disney Plus app, or Prime, and away we go, right? So and I enjoy that seamless experience. You know, like it's not—I don't have to. Oh, I have to go get the, this remote and fire up that device, and you know, it's, it's more convenient this way. Great. So, Mark, tell me about AirPower. Yeah. So you might have heard about this thing called AirPower that uh, <laughs> was going to yeah. be the latest and greatest in slice things and sliced toast in the charging uh, arena. Uh, this was, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, was Apple advertised a product a few years back ago or announced a product that was coming that was going to be a universal charger for all your devices that, and a wireless charger. So you could you could just place all your, your devices, your phone, your watch, whatever you want on this platform and come back.
back a few hours later and everything would magically be charged. And it sounded like a great thing and it would have been a great thing, uh, but it never happened and Apple eventually canceled it. Uh, so interestingly enough, uh, there's maybe an explanation on, on why Apple had to cancel it here uh, in this article. Uh, this is all over the, the internet, but I happen to have the article here from 9to5Mac, uh, which is quoting a video. Um, unfortunately, the video is in the Chinese language, so you can watch it, but unless you speak Chinese, it's, you can't really understand what's going on. But it's but they're doing a a uh, they somehow got hit got hold of one of these of a prototype, I guess, and they did a teardown and and looked at it, and it's actually quite interesting. It's very very complicated, uh, which is presumably why it had to get canceled. They couldn't Apple just couldn't make it up to the quality standards that they wanted and and at a price that they wanted. Uh, but it's it's got something like fourteen wireless charging coils tightly packed into into a very small compartment and there's this whole um, kind of a, a gr- almost a grid structure of metal framework with a bunch of little pc boards for the circuit boards placed in the in the like the the, the slots of the grid uh where all the the electronics is the logic is uh so it's a pretty cool thing it's it's kind of an interesting thing to watch even if you can't understand i could understand what what they were saying because it was in mandarin chinese but it's kind of cool to watch anyway uh, and uh, but if you read the article, it will tell you tell you all about what uh, happened. Pretty cool stuff. So they do a teardown of of this thing that we believe was a real air power unit. Don't know 100 for sure, oh, but cool. we think it was. So is that what PCB stands for? Printed circuit. Printed circuit board. PCB. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You know, mm-hmm. cool. thoughts on me? Nothing. Yeah. The, the some of the photos you'll you'll have to look. You will we'll have this in the show notes for those of you driving at home, of course. But like the, the the number of little microcontrollers mm-hmm. and you know, the the coils that. Mark talked about and the just other pieces of it were just bananas. Like yeah. I didn't know what I was looking at when I first saw the article. I'm like, what is this mosaic looking thing? Like, oh gosh, that's a whole bunch of, <laughs> a bunch <laughs> of electronics. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I thought it was some weird like tile pattern. Uh-huh. Uh, and and then you start to look at another thing and it's like, oh, that must be like a frame for like a keyboard, right? It's like, well, that's a weirdo keyboard. What kind of shape of these keys with this B that would fit these holes? Like, oh no, this is actually the frame to hold this it just i definitely recommend watching the video because the pictures alone were just bananas as it was and i can i can fully understand why this technology was so difficult to bring to market and ultimately has not as of this recording come to market yeah interesting cool. but it would have been cool <laughs> well yeah Nick, I, I, you can see how how you make it uh, possible to uh, um, lay the device anywhere on the air power like with that many coils right mm-hmm. uh, to be able to target them right so it must have gotten really hot right like when things are charging there as well all right um i've got a i got three tweets here basically that are are covering the iphone 12 rumors um number of them coming out one one that i saw today which is why i decided to put these three in here um was that uh, there's a, a a sort of screenshot um leaked of of the screen showing the iphone 12 pro uh, max and with uh, and in the choices it's turn on and turn off the lidar autofocus and and uh, so, and somehow leaking that it has 120 uh, hertz a display, which is something we've talked about in the past, um, as well as a couple of tweets here from John Prosser. He's been um, putting out some things about this as well. Uh, he's talked about the fact that uh, he thinks 
that, uh, or the, what he's found is that the uh, the screen is going to be slightly wider um, in terms of like, like less less of a bezel on the outside, and and the notch is going to be smaller. Um, and uh, as well, there was one other thing. Her tweet had the most of it in, in, in there. Yeah. So notice we said yeah, glass on the edges, uh, so the glass will wrap around a bit more. Uh, face ID apparently will work flat on the table or from different angles. It currently, only for me, it only has to work. It only works if I'm holding the phone in portrait mode. Um, yeah, and uh, apparently a larger camera on the back as well. So mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see when it comes out. It's hard to say anything at this point. Yeah, these are, are slightly better than like the Bigfoot photos or the yeah, Loch Ness right. Monster <laughs> photos. It's it's such a crappy photo. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of just taking his word for it at this point, um, but definitely with a grain of salt because who, who knows given what's there. I mean, the, the things you described are things that sound plausible. Well, and you know, with my Photoshop skills, I could totally mock up something like that too, right? <laughs> and make it look, you know, rustic and discovered. Like, how do you get, how do you lose so much quality in an image? I guess you compare it, you squish it so small or something, put it on one of those tiny thumb drives that Mark was talking about last week. You know, oh, by the way, Mark, I, I did ask my friend, uh, those keep the uh, floppy disks on the on the combi system were 12 inch floppies. 12 inch, not 8 inch? 12 inch. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's why they used to call them floppies because they, they were actually floppy inches were really floppy. Yeah. So the first computer that I owned was five and a quarter inch floppies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, the Apple, right? I had an Apple. Yeah, I had a, the Atari 800. Uh, this was before, this was just a generation before the floppy that everyone remembers now, which was the little ones, the three and a quarter inch ones that were in kind of right. a hard shell. The All the yep. older ones before that were kind of in a soft shell. And if you held it by the corner and like waved it, it would flop back and forth. It wasn't in a, a hard plastic shell. It was just in kind of a, probably a vinyl kind of case. And Tammy talks about using a soldering iron to poke a hole in it so she could burn or right on both sides. Uh, <laughs> well, but you didn't have to, right? You could just cut a knot. There was, so there, they had the right, the right protection was this notch kind of in the upper right. I'd have been the upper left. It's been a long time. Uh, but but if you had a high enough quality one, then if you made the notch on the other side, if yourself, but and we used to use just like a you know the a hole punch, right? And probably right, yeah, probably yeah. no one under thirty knows what a hole punch is anymore. Uh, but Tim, right. you know what a hole punch is. <laughs> I've um, heard of them. I may have seen them in a museum. Yeah, like. right. <laughs> uh, so we used to just use a hole punch to make a little notch on the opposite side and then flip it over. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it wouldn't work because the material was a little too flimsy and you'd get leakage and it would get ruined but usually oh, yeah worked. yeah but usually it worked yeah cool all right cool all right speaking of uh, leaks and stuff like that what do you got here from the swift ui betas i mean so this isn't uh, a leak per se but this is no um from kuba Suter, a developer from poland whose article here swift ui betas what changed before 1.0 is actually kind of a nice little resource because um the thing that he's talking about is this issue where you might be looking back at you know those early early Swift UI videos. And when I say early, I mean literally just last year's WWDC videos that, that talked about Swift UI um, and a lot of the tutorials and other material that's out there. Uh, if you try to literally follow what they're telling you, you're in for a world of hurt because a lot of those um, APIs have changed and, and and pretty dramatically. So I think very similar to how uh, Swift example projects and tutorials and etc. very rapidly got out of date in the, the early days of Swift. I think SwiftUI has encountered the same sort of thing. So uh, the good thing that Kuba has done here is do this mapping of like, all right, well, when they tell you navigation button, 
what they really mean is navigation link. Okay, you know, that's, that's fairly straightforward, but you know, what would be harder is knowing that when you see segmented control in the working with UI controls tutorial, they really mean is picker with segmented picker style, right? Some right. of these are not as straightforward yep. depending on, on that. Yep. And this is, I think, a pretty good resource to look at when you're like, all right, what in the world did they call this thing? I'm looking at this older video because it's got, you know, good, valuable content, which is what is the actual API I'm supposed to call? I got the concept, but I need to know the magic incantation to make this do the thing. Yeah, nice. Yeah, there's a number of them, tab views. And it was also, um, what was that one? Um, it was the object, or one of the state variables changed, like a property wrappers. Um, the object one, what was that one called? Is that in here? Well, there's like bindable object and did change. Uh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, was it bindable? Was, is it now bindable? Yeah, bindable. Yeah, it did change. Yeah, yeah, that one changed to observable object, right? And observed object as well. Yeah, it's 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 definitely tough. Like, it, it, thankfully, Swift is at the point where you're not going to be sort of too worried that some example project out there, unless it's very very old, mm-hmm. you know, it, it'll probably work. Or there's like a migrator thing that you can run in Xcode that'll they'll get it up to snuff. But Swift UI changed so dramatically from year to year, um, and and arguably from like the early betas to that same 1.0 release. That I think this sort of resource is valuable just to save your sanity. Right. <laughs> like, right. I, I look forward to the day when when Swift UI is uh, stable enough that it'll be like, oh yeah, well, I don't really worry because examples I find on the internet are are working examples because it's stabilized. That's yeah, interesting. And the avocado toast here, of course, with the emojis. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this just now that um, I was there when they introduced Swift in 2014, and then again I was there in you know in 20 what was it last year 2019 when they introduced uh, Swift UI. So mm-hmm. interesting, interesting times to be at uh, Dev Dev. I was there for the Swift one in 2014. I remember we went to that talk together, Tim. Did we? Yep. Yeah. Oh, at WWC? Yep. Hmm. All right. Oh, yeah. I think you might have. Yeah. You, you, I think you were going by Jerry or something like that. Something now, like that. I remember. Yeah. Correctly. Like yeah that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got you now. Okay. All right. Cool. What's next, I mean? Next one is by the folks at SNCC. SNCC is a company that develops tools that help you look for vulnerabilities in your code, in your infrastructure, etc. So basically security type folks. And this post on what they're calling uh, Sour Mint, because every uh, every type of vulnerability type thing needs a, a nifty brand name nowadays, um, is what they're using to call the, um, the actual name of the SDK. There's a, an ad network network SDK for, for Chinese mobile ad pl- platform provider Mintigral that uh, can do all sorts of wild things to spy on user activity by logging URL-based requests. And it will also fraudulently report user clicks on ads and steal uh, those clicks from competing ad networks. And it has interesting code that tries to determine if it is being observed through uh, debugging tools or if it has been loaded on a uh jailbroken device. Uh, for example, if you have the Cydia app store in your, your device, like it looks for all of these different things to try to figure out. Am I being watched by somebody? Uh, if I am, I'll just act like a normal good citizen. Otherwise, I'll do all sorts of nefarious things. So it, mm. it, it here's some of the privacy exposures that it does. It uh, it logs URLs that are requested, uh, which you know, might include sensitive information, the headers of the requests, uh, which might include authentication tokens, um, where in the application code this request came from. Uh, it looks for the identifier for advertiser, the IDFA. It uh, also tries to figure out, you know, custom URL schemes and in-app calls to the app store. Uh, it does a whole bunch of this based on uh, fancy, 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 fancy 
sizzling. So it is trying to really do some nefarious things here, is, is what's being claimed. So this is. But they're helping you find this stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, given what I had said about what SNCC does, you know, there's, there's that incentive of like, hey, look at this thing we found, right? Building credibility in the, or furthering credibility in the security industry. But I, I think this is a really good example of what we talk about on this show of, you know, there's a, a great responsibility when you bring in uh, third party libraries, which is, you know, this is one of those. And just given the way that even a very secure operating system like iOS happens to be, their nature finds a way, as they say, right? Nature finds a way to, right, right. To, to do things that you don't quite expect. So, you know, if you were considering ad network type stuff, you've got to be, uh, I think, very, very diligent. Um, this, this sort of thing might be more prevalent. Who knows? Unclear. Uh, thankfully, this is uh, a network that I'm not familiar with and might only be in, in the um, the Chinese market, but really in a globally connected environment, what would keep engineers from saying, hey, that's a really good idea. We should do that too for insert your 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 local advertising agency SDK company and ad network. It, it's, it's pretty, you know, I actually kind of have to tip my hat in a way of like, wow, that was really pretty nifty, sophisticated stuff they were doing, even if I don't, you know, condone or agree with the the reasons that they were doing it and, and the impacts to um, to users, to uh, competing ad networks, because this is, you know, uh, trying to misattribute clicks on potentially other ad networks uh, that you might have included in your app. If you had more than one ad network SDK, it's trying to say, no, 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 that didn't happen with, you know, Google's ads or Facebook ads. That actually happened with Mintigral. So it's, it's definitely fraudulent based on what's claimed here. All right. Hmm. Yeah. And who knows when you're adding in like um, Cocoa Pods here and there, what you're, what you're really bringing in, right? So especially if you're not able to look at uh, the actual code, source code, right? Indeed, indeed. But wasn't there, wasn't there, was that that other thing with Apple, the app testing, is that something similar to that? Like, cause it doesn't that sort of also look for nefarious activities and bad code and... Oh yeah, that ATT testers. Testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, so the, the app test thing we talked about was for you, the developer, to have a better idea of this instance of the app that I'm communicating with so assuming you're oh, looking make from sure your, your, your backend yeah, yeah. server standpoint you know how likely is it that this is a compromised version of, of the app but but that was really approaching it from the angle of you have your legitimate app and somebody external has cracked it and, and modified it in some way in this case the the killer is on the inside right like it's still a, a, a modification if you think about it uh, certainly a modification of the intent but you were the one who put it in the place to do that right there wasn't somebody yeah, cool you know in, in a laboratory somewhere that figured out how to crack the code and, and, you know, decompile your app and change things and put it back together. This was something that was put in as a, uh, like a Trojan horse that like you have, uh, you've participated in willingly, but unwittingly. All right. And what's next with, uh, Facebook and stuff? Yeah, <laughs> this was completely unintentional and, and in a, uh, you know, sort of a normal sort of newscast that have kittens in between these, uh, you know, these, these dour notes, um, this one relates to uh, Facebook and its ad network, where they are preparing their uh, business partners and say, hey, I was 14. Guess what? Um, Apple is making some really serious changes around the uh, the IDFA, the Identifier for Advertiser. And boy, oh mighty, is that going to have
have some wild impacts to Facebook's ad network, or at least Facebook anticipates that that will be the case, such that um, they're going to release an updated version of the SDK to support iOS 14. And, and that version will use Apple's uh, StoreKit ad network API, which, as you might imagine, limits the kind of data that does ad attribution and etc. And they're really just setting expectations here that they think this will disproportionately affect their audience network. And they're uh, recommending even that folks create a separate ad account specifically for iOS 14 so you can sort of track what's going on and the impacts sort of separately from all of your other ad attribution tracking you're doing if you're using Facebook's um, ad network. Uh, and when you click through one of the links, I think it is the one that says learn about the impact to audience network here. Based on Facebook's own testing, they've seen more than a 50% drop in audience network publisher revenue when personalization was removed from mobile app ad install campaigns. So um, I guess good for users' privacy and and bad for advertising networks is is what we're going to say here out of this one. Cool. Yeah, it, yeah. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of concern about location and all the warnings and stuff that Apple's added in iOS 14 is going to create a lot of challenges for for people, right? Yeah, I, I think it'll probably be generally positive for the industry as a whole. Um, certainly, there will be challenges. Like I can I can say that this will definitely have an impact impact to how efficiently you can um, use your marketing ad spending dollars, right? Like it will be more difficult to track, you know, did this particular ad campaign result in the kind of behavior that we wanted that will be less clear. And I think very, uh, very intentionally so, right? Apple is is obfuscating that for, for privacy reasons. Um, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that there aren't, you know, sort of unintended impacts. There's certainly plenty of businesses that have built their, uh, their capabilities abilities on top of um, ad networks provided by uh, Google and Facebook and others. But um, I think as we talked about before about uh, data being a liability and probably needing more regulation than it's had in years past, I think this is a, an inevitable consequence of that sort of thing. So uh, adjust your your thoughts as a developer uh, to fit that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, let's move on to our picks. So this first pick is really interesting to me. It just from a number of different angles. I think it's really cool. But uh, Mark, why don't you fill us in? Yeah, I knew you'd like this one, Tim. So this is a video that I found on it's on Vimeo and it's all about how Bezier curves work and and you've probably come across the Bezier curve it's it's whenever you when you it, when you try to draw a curve in a in a drawing program and it's this thing where there's a couple of handles and these kind of um, tangent lines that you can rotate and make longer or shorter and and however you have those set changes the way the curve is and if if you don't know what it's doing it it just does it in kind of a completely mysterious way and you just have to kind of hack at it until it kind of looks sort of the way you want it to uh, but what this video does is it actually shows you the logic behind how they really work and how they're actually drawn and what it what those uh, position what the position of the curves and what the handles actually mean and I can't really describe it to you you got to watch it so you should check out the the link in the in the show notes uh, but but essentially what it does is it, it shows how a computer would actually draw the curve based on how these things are setting but it's all visual you know it's no, there's no math in there uh, it just shows you how it you know 
from the tangent lines and projections and things like that, how it actually draws this curve. So if you're like me and, you know, you always kind of hacked your way through using these things to m- sort of make it work. And, but sometimes you, if you pull the line too much, it gets, goes completely crazy and you have no idea. Well, this will give you some insight on what's going on. So I, I recommend watching it. It's only a couple of minutes long. It's really a nice little, nice little video. Bezier curves. Interesting to me is a couple of things is one is that you know, I started my career in Adobe Illustrator. So of course, mm. Bezier curves was the sort of way I entered things. But even before that, when I was a kid, um, I used to play a lot with string art, like, you know, where you'd, mm. you'd have a bunch of holes printed in something and you and you would draw, you would basically make a connection from one hole to another and you would end up making these curves. And I obsessed a bit about that in university. I did a lot of paintings based on that sort of idea. And it, what's interesting is that that's how Bezier curve works, right? Basically, it's, it's a series of straight lines that, that as they follow around the, from one end to the other, um, like, you know, the last part of this little video where he talks about the little pink dots, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of sort of what I was doing was creating these lines and then uh, and staggering them around a, shape, a curved shape. And they, of course, they wouldn't be perfectly smooth because they would have like, you know, short line segment. And it's also interesting because when you do 3D um, CAD drawings, depending on how uh, coarse you make a curve, you can see the actual planes that are making up that curve, right? So, you know, the, the more planes you have, the, the less obvious the curve is or the less, you know, obvious the structure of the curve is. So it's I really like right up my my alley in terms of uh, in terms of this particular cool thing, right? Nice. So my pick uh, is is a couple of interesting things. I remember when I first went to WWDC, there was a panel of is a cool video here uh, put up by Sam Henry Gold um, on um, Apple's Hyperwall in 2010, and it sort of goes through the whole class of uh, it shows a video of how the cla- the, the the structure was made, um, and what it was was uh, it was really cool. It was like a, it was almost like a snowfall, and each snowflake was was an app download downloaded from the app store and how they had done it was they had a series of uh, of i'm gonna guess they were they must have been like 27 inch uh, displays whatever the cinema display was back then um they had a whole panel of them um as a wall you know and looking at this let's see it's got to be six or seven wide by you know four high and it was just like a giant you know standing there looking at a snowstorm you know living in canada see snow all the time and in behind the scenes there's a picture of behind the scenes uh, of all the the mac uh, I guess they would be uh, would have been Intel's or G5s that were running it, um, but yeah, like a whole panel of 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 like just the heat that must have been coming off that thing was incredible. And it would it would basically replay over and over again. It would fill up and then it would uh, collapse and then start all over again. And uh, they were color coded and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of a cool little display. Um, and I remember you know watching it for quite a while at at the App Store. And then to follow that up, um, and so I got a link here to that video. But to follow that up um, in 2012 they had what they called the hyper table and that was made up of and i've got a pic- couple of pictures here or a gentleman here um twitter has a picture of um i don't know yeah lower one here down um of the hyper wall a video of how that worked but um interestingly enough is that uh, diane and i were both um uh, one of our apps two life uh, wedding ultimate wedding planner was one of the apps that was made it into the into this uh hyper table and so i, had, I posted a couple of videos uh, on the on the in response to this Twitter thing, um, 
basically the same idea. It was it was a series of iPads, four uh, four iPads wide, and you know it must have been twenty feet long. And uh, you could interact with this one. Obviously, you can touch it, and it would ripple. Uh, it would create these ripples in the display, and and it was almost like a river because the the iPad or the icons just kind of moved down the down the stream, as it were. Um, and if you saw your app, you could tap on it, and it would open up a little window, and it would show you um, you know the, the the rating on the app store, and it would it, and if if you, a download happened, it would actually almost like a speedometer. It would kind of you know, peak up to the red line and then back down to down to its size, right? So it was kind of kind of cool to watch um, your app uh, on the on the hypertable. So that's that was kind of cool. So those are my two picks from um, from Apple uh, with the hypertable and the cool display. So I don't know if either of you guys saw those or heard about them back in the day. I remember uh, you talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I okay. I was at uh, 2012, and I remember seeing. I mean, I don't know if it was literally. I didn't see you there. I saw one like that. <laughs> um, and this uh, this next video here is uh, our John Prosser has created a video that uh, it's it's an older video. It's it's basically from last September, right, just after the iPhone announcement was was out there. And you know, um, a friend of the show and sometimes co-host Tammy Coron believes that you know Apple is no good now that Steve Jobs is gone. Um, and uh, I think uh, John Cross, Prosser has a completely different perspective on it. And it's interesting if you if you watch the video, and I hope you guys did watch it. Um, he talks about how you know Jobs kind of ran Apple as we all know through you know gut and feel and all that kind of stuff. And and he was a bit of a perfectionist. And and John says here in this video that if if it was the case, we would have had one iPhone model every year. And uh, he handpicked um, um, Tim, Tim Cook to replace him. And Tim Cook, in in the time between when Jobs left and where we are today, has made like has made more money with Apple than Jobs could have uh, at the time, right? Or would have potentially made as much money. Um, and it, it's interesting because it talks about at the very end of the video about the success of the iPhone XR, which is all about compromise. We've talked about this on the show a number of times, and and you know it's it's not the phone for us. I'm doing our quotes, you know, kind of thing. Um, but it surprisingly is the most popular phone, period. And and that's not just in terms of, it's not the, like, it's not popular because of the features. Like, we all look at the gigahertz and mega flips and whatever. Uh, it's popular because that's the phone that sells the most, you know. And um, Apple is, is happy with that. And they've, they've kind of learned the art of compromise in a sense that uh, they're able to produce a product that is um, got a lot of, you know, market marketability in terms of who will, getting the mass market to buy it. And, and, uh, but it's not necessarily the fastest, quickest, you know, best camera, blah, 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 you know, OLED display um, device, right? So do you guys watch this at all? Or? Yeah, I watched it. it. It made a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think he's right that, that Apple's, it's a business, right? And, and yeah, you can, you can try to be, you can try, you can make a business out of making the highest end niche things, uh, but that's going to be a limit on your business. It's, it's, you, you have to, you have to realize that that price is probably the, the strongest driving force on anything so so i mean obviously you know you don't want something that's just cheap and low low cost but but if you can make something that's good and at a lower price point then that's the winner and that's what the 10r was right it didn't have all the bells and whistles of the biggest one but but of the of the 10s uh but not everybody cared about those and that's exactly his point and so they they were they made some smart moves of cutting out the things like you know the 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 oled screen the oled screen was awesome but you know if you didn't have 
the OLED screen, phone still looked pretty good. So cutting that out managed to let uh, enable them to, to get the price down a lot and uh, and uh, still get something good out to lots of people. It makes total sense. And of course, you know, Apple stock price today is, drum roll please. But today was a good day for the market overall. Was it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 5.06. I thought it was 5.30 earlier today when I looked at it. Well, yeah. It, today, it, midday was really good, but then things came back. It came back to normal? Still, still a good day, but... Yeah. Oh, is it kind of 5.60? I would say 5. Pretty close to 5.16 is probably the highest it's been over the last uh, week, right? Cool. Anyway, so that's it. I mean, you got to pick. I do. This is a tweet by uh, Ole Begman that you can uh, you can write workarounds for bugs, which, you know, we often do. Bugs in the operating system, bugs in versions of programming languages like Swift. But what you can do that's pretty nifty here is you can mark it as deprecated in the compiler version so that you'll get a reminder to take a look and revisit You know, when the next version of that uh, operating system comes out, the next version of that compiler language comes out. See if it's been fixed. And as an example here, he's got a workaround for uh, a problem in the Swift package manager where apparently you can't locate test bundle resources. Uh, so it has a message that says, hey, you work around for you know SR12912, which apparently is the uh, uh, the bug number. And it says, you know, if it's been fixed, use this other method, this bundle.module instead. Otherwise, you know, this function exists to, to patch over that problem. But the, the secret sauce here is this at available annotation that has, you know, all right, Swift, uh, let's say that this is deprecated as of 5.4, where the idea is we're using 5.3. So when 5.4 comes around, we can go ahead and get a warning in Xcode and say, oh, let's take a look. Oh, it's been patched. Great. We can we can move about our lives and, and just delete this uh, this temporary patched code. Or you might say, mm, well, it's still not fixed. So let's deprecate that in 5.5 and see, right. <laughs> you know, the same time next year if this has been fixed. You know, that's, that's kind of an interesting idea because it, it can be kind of hard to keep track of these. You know, one time we had to write a patch to do this and mm-hmm. then we just never remembered and five years down the line an intern's like hey i found this thing like, oh yeah that doesn't exist anymore we could have removed it two years ago right 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 yeah i've had to, i've had to patch things and then come back a year later after an os release or whatever and reverse the patch you know yeah it's, it's handy I've, i posted this to our to our slack at work too just because i thought it was kind of a cool idea for for marking things and i mean you could put like a jira ticket in there or something like that because you know uh, a lot of times we have we have commit statements that had tell you what things are and and we do some weird things and you know people move on and things get forgotten so it's a good good way to leave yourself a little little note to go in and fix this up later and um, of course Ola Begman is, is one of the co-authors on hubjc.io uh, of advanced swift so yeah kind of knows what he's talking about all right uh well i guess that's it for another week so hey how many people can get in touch with you where they find you i'm on twitter is at dev with the hair all right and mark if people are going to get in touch with you yeah, mark r at smapsoft.com all right my name is timitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a and the twitter machine and that's where you'll find me so we'll see you guys in the future bye bye this has been another episode of the more than just code podcast if you want to find out more about the show you can visit the more than just code website at mtjc.fm there you can find a summary and show notes of each episode we list links to the apps code and news that we mentioned on the show if you like the podcast tell your friends please leave a comment on the website and if you can please write a review on itunes and please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher 
All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Somebody asked me the other day, "What what is Smapsoft anyway?" And I oh, said, yeah. oh, it's a s- software company that Mark runs with a partner, right? So or used to run. Used to, yeah. So it's the name came from it was Smart Apps, Smaps, but it's software, so Smart App Software essentially. Oh, Smart App Software. Well, what do you know? Yeah. Smapsoft. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. There's there's a legend. I mean, now we right. know the secret. Also, my first initial was M, and my business partner's first initial was S. So Steve oh. and Mark's apps was another way of looking at it, and Zaps didn't sound right. So. <laughs> 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 so he got first. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know if you heard my mic. My, my computer had a meltdown last week. Oh, not you. oh, so you were rebooting, but I didn't hear about your meltdown. We were in the middle of Spotcast last week. We we're just about in the picks, right? And um, oh. I went to. I went. To, I actually just went to touch one of the dongles that was plugged in, and as soon as I touched it, the entire sound, everything, just went dead. Right. Oh. Um. And so the whole microphone system, everything, just like completely cropped out. I mean, they can still hear me talking through the because it switched over to the the Mac microphone, right? Yeah. Anyway, so like, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and like, it's it, it, everything's short of smoke coming out of the computer, right? Did you feel um, a static shock or anything? Uh, no, but I did. I did hear like um like the there was some sort of screechy noise in my like repeated screechy noise in my headphones, right? Mm. So which in, which made me indicate that something was wrong with the sound, right? And and I you know couldn't figure out what it was, and so um I basically I had to bail, right? And uh, so and then Harmony's like, I oh, reboot your back, and I, so I rebooted it, and then it just started kernel panicking, and I'm like, oh great, here we go, right? Like so I spent like you know the next day backing it up and making sure that it was all you know clean and it had it had everything off of it that you know it could live without, and then you know have to take it into Apple to have it looked at or whatever, right? But I mean it did come back eventually, but like you know took me like of course the now that I'm on a bigger drive, I don't have any any drive suitable enough to to back it up completely because I used to have a I have a one terabyte drive, but it's split into two pieces because my old Mac was like 500, right? Or five yeah 500 gigs, and so I could fit that onto a half of a you know, do a backup yeah. and then I, I could have backup files and I could have a clone of, of the Mac just in case, right? So you don't have like a just a couple of like a, you know just big yeah it's a USB big, U, yeah. big USB drives yeah you just yeah I, I, well, keep a, I, I keep a few of those around just to yeah well yeah. I do I do have like so I do have a one terabyte but a problem like I said it, it, it was partitioned into two pieces because yeah. my old Mac didn't really need it and then but I did buy an eight gigabyte ter, uh, eight terabyte um, drive but it's sitting in the server case so I, it's not easy to get to right yeah but uh, you know for the one to two hundred bucks we could have another one right but um do you, do you guys have any uh nas storage yeah i do i have uh yeah i use a, I use a drobo that's what would die a few weeks ago I remember, I remember that story oh. right but yeah anyway so i so i'm basically i'm 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 giving up on the dongle game i've gone to amazon and i've bought some usb c to usb b cables and some usb c to usb what are the other ones i bought a um, would be the, the most typical one b was kind of an interesting choice yeah there. no I gotta look at oh no the, the you know the micro the micro B ones that you used to hook up to the to the hard drives and stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah so I've, I've got a couple of those to USB C so I, and I'm basically like you know I, I get it.
get it. I get it. Apple doesn't want us to play around with this crap anymore. And so I'm throwing in the towel. I'm officially giving up on trying to use dongles. And, you know, I've got a dongle for one dongle over here. It's got USB and a pass-through, and it's got a monitor. Like, I think it's probably like a, a HDMI and Ethernet. And I've got another one over there that's like VGA plus USB-A. And then I've got another one that's, you know, HDMI plus it's like enough, right? Like I've got a dongle. I literally have a bang of, do- bag of dongles sitting in front of me right now. And my microphone comes through. Um, currently, I'm, I'm going through like a, a digital analog converter, which uses a USB-A. That's what I'm talking to you guys on right now. And that's what kind of the Mac keeps losing the connection to. The old the old Mac was like a champ. It never, never you know, sub- lost the connection to it at all, right? Mind you, this, this monitor that I'm using, the, the work monitor, has a USB hub on it. So, and it's USB-C. So, I could actually probably plug the microphone into that and be done with all this nonsense, right? Uh, but I didn't, and on the back of the USB, on the back of my um, Behringer, um, uh, like, uh, what do you call it, mixer, is, is a USB port, right? USB-B port, right? So, plus I got a USB scanner, like B scanner for um, for my Nikon film scanner, you know? So, yeah. I mean, you know, resistance, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. So I'm just trying to eliminate all the, because I've had problems with these dongles in the past, right? Like, they just, they, they get plugged and unplugged too often, and they just they just wear out, and, you know, they're just crap, right? So. Are you talking about USB-C mm-hmm. specifically? I'm talking about USB-C specifically from Apple dongles, yeah. Like, you know, the, yeah. the official Apple, and you know, it's funny when you call support, like, they only support the official ones. Well, these are the official ones. I have the uh, the, the files to prove it, right, don't I, Hemi? <laughs> it was rather abrupt, and I didn't know what was going on. I just thought your machine just freaked out. I didn't really expect that it was going to be related to, you know, touching a dongle that then resulted in something freaking out in the operating system as something was partially connected or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think it was charging. You know, I have the, the monitor does charging, and then the, and I also had, a, I think I might have had two charging cables sort of in the loop, and yeah, just, you know, so I don't know. And it's like, you know, yeah, this is, this is the thing. We only have four USB-C ports to play with, and so I'm not fighting with it anymore. I'm not playing the game i'm just gonna like i right now i'm running i found i have an, an old usb hub that i got a few things plugged into and i've got that going through a usb b cable to my one of my new shiny usb c cables so yeah so enough enough of the dongles you know like trying to have multi-port adapters and stuff it's just nuts so eliminate eliminate the uh potential what are they you know weakest link in the chain and all that kind of stuff points of failure that's what i'm thinking of eliminate the points of failure and then uh, Xavier was over. He's our number one fan on Spotcast. He was over on the weekend helping me with construction, and so I gave him the task of teaching him how to how to edit Spotcast, and he got happy through it. So, and like I just had to finish off the last little, last little bit of it. So, behind me, if you notice a difference in the in the, the style of the show, <laughs> it's not me. It's it's uh, Xavier. So he left all he took all, took all your ums out. <laughs> <laughs> Very fastidiously doing that. Yeah. It, yeah. It worked out pretty well. Yeah. I was mostly listening for the very end when a new chaos was about to erupt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were, what, like five minutes away from finishing that show, and uh, it, it worked out pretty well. I just looked at the end from uh, from uh, two episodes ago, yeah, and just popped that in there rather than trying to patch something together, right? So, yeah, lots of fun. And then I, I had a little bit for the... I wasn't, wasn't planning on having an after show, but you had that debate you and Jonathan were having about... Uh, elections and stuff, right? What was it you were talking about? Well, it was more oh, the around, popcorn. around Get the pop, mail fr- 
popcorn out. Ma- yeah. Mail fraud is is the dumbest way of committing fraud. You should do it on Kickstarter the way that everybody else does. There's no consequences there. <laughs> is my uh, facetious sort of approach to life. Yeah, it was very very funny, very reasonable. Anyway, so how are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. Doing okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. things have cool. mostly stopped burning down around me. Nice. We had a few days there where uh, they were actually evacuating people from the outskirts of the of the city because mm-hmm. you've heard about what's been going on, right? With the fires. Yeah, the fire. We talked about last oh, week. Oh, did we yeah. talk about fires? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, there were a couple of days where we pretty much couldn't go outside because you uh, it just smelled like a, a campfire, essentially. I went to the supermarket and was walking around, even in a, even in a mask the whole time. And by the time I got home, I kind of had a headache from just, just from the breathing breathe, bad yeah. air. Yeah. Wow. Yep. It's almost like it's like Blade Runner 2049, eh? Like with the orange sky. And yeah. The- <laughs> oh, it, it was. There were times when you'd look out the window and it was kind of orange. Yeah. It was kind of scary. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. Greg posted a picture on, I think, on Instagram today of orange sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not cool. But, you know, I never received those uh, masks. Not yet, eh? Nope. Yeah. yeah I, had a, I had a print come sent to me from somebody in the U.S. and they sent USPS. And, and I so I getting, kept getting text messages all week. And then, um, like, I got one yesterday saying, yeah, it's been delivered. And no, it wasn't delivered. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, handed off to Canada Post. And they kind of like, I think they, like, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I have a dog. And, and if you knock on my door, the dog kind of like knows you dog you knocked on the door. And like, we were all here. There's three of us home. And, and somehow the postman managed to come and sneakily, you know, stealthily put the, the card in the mailbox and then run away. Right. So. Yeah, that's that's always my thing with uh, usually dealing with Amazon support. We're like, oh, well, they claim they delivered. I'm like, well, they're liars because I work from home. I'm here the entire time. I also have a dog that gets really twitchy about people, not just you know knocking the door, but but coming towards the door. So um, I guess the only other thing I could add on top of that is like if I got a ring doorbell, so I had video evidence. But like, trust me, they're lying when they say that they. Uh, they tried to deliver because they didn't. I don't know why that is. I can surmise some of the incentives, but nevertheless, there was no guaranteed no attempt made to deliver. I gotta ask you about your infrastructure because because in my case, they we have a porch and they just they just put the, po- the product product on the porch and then they take a picture with their cell phone and upload it. Right? Um, like, do you? So are you like on surface level or are you like in a condo or what's your what's condo? Your not not on surface level. So um, like you would definitely know. You could hear them tuk, 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 going up the stairs. And the oh, dog okay. could hear them, yeah. and then everybody and their grandma could hear them. And yeah, I, I'm definitely keen on when they have the uh, picture uh, proof of the delivery. Those, uh, you know, when they have to do those, those never go wrong, which is nice. Well, I'm thinking, like, now that you mentioned the Ring camera, I don't know if I'd go with Ring, but um, yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. Like, I was, I was thinking the other day, like, should I get a door? Because I'm in the basement. I can't I have no windows. I can't even see if it's raining outside, right? So I would never know unless the dog freaks out that, that somebody's at the door, right? So whereas, you know, Carol's upstairs and same sort of deal like we, we're not we don't work on the first floor of the house we work she works on the second and i work in the basement right so yeah so they, it's it's conceivable that somebody could come by and you know i could be in the middle of a meeting listening to you know trying to follow the meeting then you know listening for a door knock right so it'd be nice if they like sent it sent you a text saying hey i'm on the way you know it is like the the you know it is we are in the, the current 2020 era you know we should be able to, we have technology right so yeah it really should be like like uber right like i can see exactly where the car is or Uber, Lyft, um, as opposed to, yeah. like, I just recently got some uh, Seattle Kraken NHL merchandise. And nice. the the update from FedEx went from, it'll be here, you know, tomorrow, I'm like, cool, to it'll be here three days from now. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. How It's already in the state 
state of Washington? Like, yeah, are you, are you yeah. taking a little trip or up the coast, it? or like, yeah. what's what's going yeah. on? Why, why would it take you three days? And sure enough, it was delivered that same day, which is just bananas. Their their system does that. I, I assume it's to under promise and and over deliver, no pun intended. Um, but it's you know we have the technology, and I can guarantee you that FedEx and DHL and UPS know exactly where those vehicles are. They know if that person is taking too many restroom breaks. They know that they you know went to go take a twenty minute uh, foray into the the local tribal casinos, right? Like so, there there is the technology is just not the wherewithal to share some of that information to enhance their user experience. Well, if they did, people would freak out, yep. right? Before the before the pandemic, before UPS in my area became a complete disaster and is essentially ineffective completely just as a, as a uh, as an organization in my area at least. Uh, they used to have a really good thing where when it was relatively close to your house, they would send you a link and you could go onto the web and you could actually see an Uber-like map where it would show the truck and they'd say four, four stops away, three stops away, two stops away. So that was, yeah, it, for sure it's, it's doable. And it's actually quite nice when they have it because you can judge, you know, uh, you know when is it actually going to get here and, and, and be ready for it. But of course, as I think I was talking about last time, UPS is just a complete disaster in my area now. I mean, it's just completely completely unreliable uh you know one one day things don't exist anymore uh and except for the fact that they tell you every day that it's out for delivery and of course it never gets there and they do it again the next day and do it again mm-hmm. the next day and do it and just one random day then suddenly it shows up uh which you know is just not not a good way to do it i mean i, I understand that things are crazy and busy but they should as you said i mean they know exactly when it's going to get there they should just tell us the reality yeah well you know it's it's funny you say that because like like i know for a fact if i'm ever tra- tracking something from ups or whatever mm-hmm. it kind of like goes to some office in mississauga somewhere and then eventually once it's out for delivery i know it's coming today right so you know unlike you i haven't had that sort of yeah weird stuff but i'm mean, ups is one of my least favorite delivery people but yeah dhl is worse too because I mean, at least at least with you have eps now I've, I've been able to digitally sign for stuff like just just leave it on the front porch i don't care right uh, whereas before i had to you had to be there when the guy came and you know knocked on the door and yeah <laughs> just everybody's musing upon the 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 challenges of delivery so what did you get from where did you where crack and where did you get i i got a, a t-shirt oh a t-shirt uh, yeah okay. yeah i went to uh nhl.com or whatever their pro yeah. shop is and hmm. ordered and and got that delivered with you know the the very unreliable estimates from fedex once the, right. the product was in their hands and so so you haven't really become a true hockey fan until you've gone and spent two or three hundred dollars on a hockey sweater that you can wear to work on game day and there's blood on it from a fight that you had in the stands oh. <laughs> during the game <laughs> well you can have you, yeah you can have fight you can have a fight with a coworker too but no it's i always find it's ridiculously like like i'm torn because i live in toronto and i'm and i'm sort of a closeted leaf fan but um like leaf fan leaf fan by proxy but i grew up a montreal canadians fan right and then you know of course there was a period of time where i was a boston Bruins fan too right but um yeah so so i've never i've never actually owned a leaf sweater right but when i i look at the price tags on them when i look in the stores and you know if 
official NHL wear stuff. And yeah, they're incredibly expensive. And like, you know, people buy them for their kids and they're even for the kids are like a couple hundred bucks, you know, like it's crazy stuff, you know, crazy, crazy pricing. So you'll, I guess you'll get into that when, when the, I guess it's the same thing with NBA stuff and baseball stuff, I would guess, right? Officially licensed products. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would have thought you thought you would buy the uh, Kraken 1.0 uh, hockey sweater. I may not there yet. You know, I, I've, I've still got the better part of, uh, of a year to, uh, to get into this, right? <laughs> like up. you gotta, yeah. you gotta start out, you know, with baby steps for newbies. Like I, you know, yeah. I, as, as part of this indoctrination into uh, being into the NHL, um, I was reading an article about those, uh, those hockey sticks with holes in them, which was, which was new to me. Right. Cause as you might imagine, I don't watch a lot of hockey. Oh, to reduce air resistance, right? It, wow. it, it was that and and apparently given the materials they have it gives you this better balance between um uh having some flex so that you're kind of slingshotting the puck and getting more kinetic energy out of the shot mm-hmm. but not so much flex that it has a trampoline effect which kills your feel when you're trying to pass the uh, I was going to say the ball when you're trying to pass the puck the, ro- the rondel the rondel the the, the, the flat the ball the flat ball that you're trying to pass to your friends on the ice right when you're yeah. you're trying to to your uh i don't know uh, obtain it <laughs> i don't even if the right term is receive catch you receive a pass yeah yeah okay good so it's it's like it's like uh football in the case okay so so receive a pass um you don't want the puck to sort of bounce a little bit off of your stick because then you're going to lose control when you're you know um you know breaking right, away right. trying to to score so i was like oh that's 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 pretty cool i i, I never would have known yeah it's funny you know like over over the years like when we grew up you had you, your stick was pretty much straight right and and it might have a little bit of a tilt on it it would say left but if you looked at it it was like bone straight like david's got a, a stick signed by the 67 leafs they signed it with ballpoint pen but and it's got like no it's got this little like tilt like like maybe one eighth of an inch or something like that and, and it says left on it but then when i grew up we were having curved sticks and that and it was sort of bobby hall and the slap shot sort of era started curving your sticks but they were all made out of ash and and you know like that kind of stuff right but now they're all composite sticks and they're all hollow made of carbon fiber and fiberglassy kind of stuff and you never know when you go to wind up and take that shot like by the way i should mention too that the hockey stick is around 300 bucks these days as opposed to like 25 dollars at canadian tire but you could take a shot and the stick could break like on the first shot like you know so it's kind of like oh that's another 300 dollars and yeah it's just it's ridiculous like the like how expensive david and i were talking about this the other day david used to be a goaltender and same with me but uh sticks are crazy price crazy price now right so i don't know if you've ever watched any games and, and seen somebody just snap a stick in half when they take, take a shot right because that whole like you said the high man the whole mix between rigidity rigidity and flex right yeah sort of weird weird uh weird thing base age polymers yeah well you never know like yeah, yeah like you never know it's gonna it could just blow up on you like right away so they, they must go through a well i think that and, was and, the problem right because if you if you put holes in in old materials that weren't as good as the stuff they have now you know you put some holes in the thing and it was pretty likely to break if it had just the smallest amount of an imperfection or something like that because when you start poking holes in it you lose the structure the structural integrity of it but now so th- these are holes in the in the in the blade, in the blade right, right right yeah yeah so so you know so if you have a solid flat piece of material that's pretty that's pretty structurally solid strong but as soon as you start putting holes in it um you know if you have like a tiny little imperfection in the material between two holes and you just bend it the wrong way that thing's going to snap and, and break hmm. but now the materials are so much better now and 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 uh you know more flexible strong and flexible at the same time they can make 
make these things, you know, with really a thin amount of material in between the holes, and it can still be very solid and strong, so it resists wow. breaking. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've, uh, I was pretty amazed. You know, I used to play tennis back in high school, and at the time, I had uh, what was fairly modern racket um and uh, you know we, every once in a while you'd have like an, an old timer on the court who's playing with the old wood style right the, yeah, the wooden ones yeah, yeah the john McEnroe, bjorn borg style ones and uh, jimmy connor's ones and and it was it was so hard to hit with those because they were so dang heavy you sort of had to start your swing way ahead of time of what you were used what i was used to given the weight in my racket and it felt like for what so i'm, I'm, I'm using like a baseball bat there's hardly any surface area on this darn racket <laughs> face um you know cut to uh maybe two years ago i was at a sporting goods store i'm like yeah let me pick up you know the most expensive fancy pants racket and see what it feels like and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing it has an enormous racket face it mm-hmm. has um you know uh, a lightness to it that doesn't feel like it's gonna break because there were similarish ones that were made out of um like graphite and titanium i think is what what they were back in the the late nineties when I was playing in high school. And those felt like they would shatter and, and give you like asbestos lung or something, right? Like they didn't feel quality. Uh but but these do and and they were just amazing pieces of of technology. So I can imagine that that hockey sticks have gone through sort of the same sort of thing over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and and even a sport that I'm you know barely uh have any experience in golf, uh I imagine that that the woods and irons were probably literally made out of wood and iron uh, when you had those kind of clubs. Uh, but I, even my, you know, cheap newbie set, um, it has a, uh, and this is probably like a decade old now, this set, it has a couple of hybrid, what they call hybrid uh, clubs that are sort of in between. They're like a, a mix of a wood and an iron. So it's it's got the ability to, to sort of dig into the ground like a, an iron would, you know, think of like a pitching wedge sort of thing. But at the same time, have just the lovely forgivingness of of a wood so it's got an enormous uh club face but yet it's light right because it's like sort of in the shape of a it's in the shape of a of a wood but it is uh with the the durability of a of an iron right like you would never take your driver and like pound it on the ground right because it would just snap in half um but but this is just like really cool technology that is uh you know definitely changes across eras where it's really hard to to compare uh you know, coming back to tennis, which I know it'd be really hard to compare like uh, John McEnroe with his tennis racket that he had versus like, you know, Rafael Nadal with, with the tennis racket that he has now. Right. It's it's so it's like an arms race with with the technology for this stuff. Crazy. So uh, speaking of real time follow up, I just I was just looking at the uh, the Apple News site here. Uh, what how do we feel about CNBC? Are we OK uh, with them as a news source? Mm. Well, yeah, they're they're a reasonably solid news source. They they used to have some uh, newscasters, I guess you call them, who were kind of yeah. anti Apple back in the day. Oh, okay. I don't okay. know if they still work there or not. I don't know. So this is uh, this is a story. It says Facebook warns Apple's iOS 14 could shave more than 50 percent of its audience network revenue. Oh yeah, people are saying that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh well, too bad for Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a yep. there's certainly an argument to be made that like a lot lot of stuff we have gotten for free as consumers is driven sure. on the fact that you do have, you know, it's paid for through ads sort of
sort of thing. So I do think that is a legitimate loss, but I think it's probably on the whole better for everyone else if we simply hand over money (laughs) for good quality products, which I think is is kind of in in Apple's wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, like we used to do back in the old days, right? To pay for things all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The free internet has kind of ruined the world (laughs) in a lot of ways. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Race to the bottom. I'm kind of amused by, um, you know, as you might imagine, as a a citizen of the internet and and probably a little too obsessively into uh, the interwebs, um, I come across a lot of different opinions on this Epic versus Apple thing. And and you know, the thing Mm -hmm. I've realized is when people get into these emotional, philosophical, and legal arguments sometimes with each other over, you know, who's right, who's wrong, what's culpable, what's going on here. I never see anybody really go into, wait a minute, but there's also Google involved here too, which completely changes the flavor of how you would end up arguing whether you're pro-Apple or pro-Epic. Like ignoring Google as a factor in this this weird triangle is is kind of weird. It's very interesting to me that they're, they're kind of an afterthought, but they they also removed Epic from their yeah, respective they sure store. Did. They yeah. they do allow side loading. Um, they they uh, for some folks are like, well, you know, like at some point you consider something an essential utility. I'm like, I kind of have a hard time with that when you consider you know iOS as an essential utility, considering its competitor has four times as much market share and operates radically differently. Um, and how essential is it? I mean, is uh, is BMWs or Mercedes products are those, are those considered essential utilities? I mean, it's it's. I'm obviously slanting things a certain way. You can kind of guess from, from some of the statements I made there, but I still think it's interesting that folks don't consider uh, a big powerhouse like Google and its relationship to Epic when they're starting to uh, sort of pick apart the different arguments uh, for and against either side in this uh, in this argument. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. I think uh, Epic wasn't planning on Google being on taking the side of Apple either when they made their videos and all that. They didn't make any anti-Google videos. Right, right. Um, and the the stuff that came out from the most recent, um, what's the right word here, uh, legal judgments, their legal actions, I guess. So the, the, the judge in this case, as of this recording, has decided that um, they will not enforce any injunction against Apple to force Fortnite back onto the store because they said, well, there's no emergency relief required here for you, Epic, because you knowingly caused this problem. This wasn't like a surprise <laughs> that Apple like screwed you over. This was like you went out of your way to cause this situation to happen. And you can very easily, trivially get Fortnite back onto the store by simply reverting the code changes that you made. So that's, you know, that's pro Apple. On the pro Epic side was Apple, sure, you, you might be um, uh, per the contract that you have with uh, Epic through its your licensing agreement, you might be uh, hypothetically in the right to to kill their developer account. But for now, we're going to say you are not going to be able to do so because of the unintended uh, blast radius to all of the Unreal Engine developers. So that's you know pro Epic. So it's kind of a weird split thing, and I think they're trying to balance out uh, what's necessary to do in the here and now while this works its way through the legal system. Hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the Unreal thing last week. Like, does that mean that if, if Epic gets kicked off the Apple Store as, an, as a developer, does that mean the Unreal Engine goes with it, like like completely? Or Well, the developer tools tied to their developer to Unreal's, or sorry, Epic's developer account, right? Because um, I'm, I'm going to assume these were, were not tools that were on the store, but they are managed 
by uh, Gatekeeper on macOS, right? And a notarization service. And so it's, it's unclear how selectively Apple can surgically, you know, nuke that part of, of your ability. But certainly they could say, you know, this entire, everything related to this account is dead. And now, you know, macOS will refuse to run your, your software. So Yeah, but it would seem that if Unreal is such a widely used platform that, that Apple, I don't see Apple doing that. Would you, do you? They, that's literally what they said they'd do. They they said as of whatever date it was, I think it's this week coming up now, that they will kill uh, Epic's developer account, which does have the, the side effect of impacting the developer tools account that's related to the Unreal Engine side of Epic's business. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Well, let's see what happens. Yeah, that one I think is is interesting. I think it can only be argued as um, as a, a, a reasonable take for this judge, if only because of the uh, the very massive impact that it has. So I could see why, for the time being, you would say it it would be better to continue having these developer tools available to not have you know innocent bystanders who are building on top of the Unreal Engine be impacted while they figure out this whole uh, legal case, right? Because they can always, at the end of it, say, yep, you know what? Apple's totally right. Go ahead. <laughs> Kill their business, right? Um, because of uh, examples like what we just talked about today, right? This developer had their account killed, absolutely dead as a doorknob, dead, right? And there aren't anybody out there crying tears, like, oh my God, like, look how terrible this is. Like, sure, people are like, oh man, that sucks. Like, you should go complain and maybe I can give you a retweet. But it wasn't viewed as this, um, you know, uh, Apple is in the wrong or uh, uh, being malicious in any sort of way. It just seemed like, well, here you go. They, they found something that they believed to be in, in violation of developer agreement. And normally for, for normal developers like you and I, you were just dead at that point, right? They, they will undo it perhaps if they figure it out, but you don't normally get a, hey, um, on this date, uh, about a week and a half from now, we will kill your developer account at that point, right? Like it's very clear that Epic got unreasonably uh, favorable terms in that deal. So I could see a, a case where the judge would have been like, yeah, this is fine. You know, go ahead, go ahead and kill it. I don't know that there's really many winners here in this particular argument, as I mentioned the last time. It's two massive companies squabbling over each other. It's, this is uh, Aliens versus Predator or King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, no no yeah, matter exactly. who wins, we lose. We're, we're, right? yeah, we're just collateral damage if we're if, uh, at all. Can't wait. Actually, we Apple stock splits on Thursday, Friday. I think, uh, right? I think it was the 31st, right? Was oh, 31st? Oh, it was 28. 28th. Oh, where'd you get yeah, that? Friday. You I don't know. Right. Friday's the 28th, so it's sort of the one I thought would be the one. Yeah, that makes more sense that they do it on a Friday than a Monday, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize that the Dow Jones Industrial Average was uh, balanced in such a way that Apple's stock split here reduces its influence on the uh, the average since it's based on share price and not like market mm, cap. Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's some some mm. stock is like 1,014 hundred bucks it's, it's ridiculous like some I, I mean i guess not really ridiculous if you can afford to buy it but well look up uh, yeah. berkshire hathaway tim mm-hmm. <laughs> seriously a couple stock quotes i'm for that. going to do it berkshire like worcestershire kind of like worcestershire yeah. berkshire hathaway yep. like as in Han- Anne hathaway he hath away 
with words is, yeah, is how you can spell that. Wow! $32,000 for a, sh- a single share? Oh, that's the Class B. Look up the Class A. <laughs> that one was that was Class A. Class A is 322000 Oh, $322,000. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So that is Warren Buffett's company. He's never split okay. the stock in its history. Really? Yeah. Wow. So if you bought 1,000 shares 50 years ago, hmm. you're probably pretty happy right now. Hmm. Wow. What did it start at? Do you know? That's a good question. That's a real question. Let's see. Berkshire Hathaway <laughs> IPO price. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> so Let's hitting see. the max button on $11.50. $11.50? Yep. In 1964. Wow. Google's wow. Google's max here doesn't even Four, go that far. Right. It only goes up to 1990. Actually, is that even right or is that? Let's see. Yeah, no. Oh, well, here's a question. Did it did it open on the New York Stock Exchange for that value that you're talking about? Or was there some other thing going on here? So I'm surprised that, that Google's little uh, financial tool only goes back as far as uh, June 1st, 1990. Yeah. Hmm. It looks like that's what I said was not true. I was reading an article and it was saying that's what Buffett bought the company for, or technically it was yeah eleven fifty per share um, when he bought it originally. But that was not that's not a trading on the stock market. So let's see. The Amazon's thirty four hundred dollars, thirty four forty one. Tesla is twenty one fifty three. Didn't Tesla go down like in the beginning of the pandemic? It was yeah, like seven hundred dollars. Tesla's been bouncing point. around a lot. Yeah, yeah. You could hold solid Apple. But, you know the, the way you the way you get your stock. Well, there's lots of ways, but one way to get your stock price up is to reduce the number of shares, right? That's what that's what stock buybacks are for. And so if you, you know, if you have a very small number of shares out on the market, then yeah, you can drive the stock price up. That's how that's how Warren Buffett does it. He never splits, right? So he doesn't he doesn't uh, he doesn't believe in it. So Nasdaq.com is where I ended up. I never even didn't even know they had a website. Weird. Huh. Yeah, I thought like a hundred dollar stock was expensive. Ten stocks to buy right now and add a monthly full. But you know, as we've as we've said many times, the absolute price of a stock is not meaningful. Right, right. It's the really the market cap because it's uh, it's all about you know what what percentage of the company the stock the stock price has a lot to do with what percentage of the company are you, are you actually buying yeah i mean at the uh, 300 and some thousand dollars per share price you're getting a certain kind of investor right i mean not too many average joe average jane develop uh, investors can't afford a house mortgage <laughs> price for for one share of stock and i think that sort of speaks to what apple's strategy in trying to do the split to say well we we'd like a different mix of investors where somebody might say around a hundred ish bucks that's doable i can own a share of apple stock you're right i mean yes there is a there is a so the to first order a stock split has no effect right because you just you have the market cap uh which is the number of shares multiplied by the price the day before the split that's a certain number the day after the split there's twice as many shares and the stock is worth half as much eat per share and you get two shares so you're you so the value of what your investment hasn't changed at all no change whatsoever so the first first order stock splits do nothing but for exactly the reason you said, uh, there's a certain uh, psychological aspect of it. When the stock is cheaper, more people are willing to buy it because they they feel like they can, they can afford to to to, uh, to invest. You know, if it's a hundred dollar stock versus a two hundred dollar stock, it's it seems more accessible to most people. But but it really is just a uh, a psychological thing because these days you can buy you know you can buy half shares in certain places. Yeah, the the fractional ownership is is interesting as I've seen mm-hmm. um, startups arise that do that sort of thing like like somebody that i um you know didn't know super well but used to work with uh, at my previous job
job. They ended up at a startup that um, that does that sort of thing. So they uh, they give you fractional shares of stuff that you buy uh, f- from the companies, right? So if you have, uh, you know, you're using their their card, their debit card, their accounts, and you're using that to pay for Netflix. Well, cool. They'll throw you fractional shares of Netflix towards you instead of a like traditional cashback sort of award sort of idea. I have no idea sort of how that ends up working <laughs> as a uh, as a financial instrument and effectiveness as a company, but it's certainly a, an interesting idea. Um, and I'm kind of curious to see uh, how that ends up working since you you don't have to have entire uh, whole shares. You can work with, with yeah. micro shares. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> the, yes, the the um, the accessibility of investing in the stock market is overall, I think it's a good thing for people. And this enables more people to invest and it enables you to diversify more, which is always a good thing. Um, but I also worry a little bit that it's going to be, it's, it already has kind of a speculative gambling kind of aspect to it. And I wonder if this is going to make that even worse and make, right. make the whole thing get it go even crazier than it has been. I don't know. We'll see. So are people jumping on Apple stock right now because of the fact that they're looking forward to the split? I think that's part of it. Yes. So a split, like I said, there's a psychological aspect to it, but, but in general, a split is, is perceived. A lot of the stock market is just psychological perception, right? Uh, so a, a split is perceived as a very bullish move, which means the company is is so so the only the only person who know, not person but the only entity that knows the real numbers about the future of a company is the company itself, right? So so what the company does or what people in the company do are viewed as signs of how the company is is gonna perform. Like you know people look at things like you know are the are the executives buying shares? Well, the executives know stuff and. Even even though there's, you know, insider trading rules, laws. Well, you know, if, if you if you know that the stock, the company's not going to go anywhere, you're not going to be buying shares. Um, you might you might be selling shares. So if executives are buying shares, even completely legally with no insider trading at all, uh, that's a, that's kind of a good sign, right? Because they're putting their own money on the line there. Whereas if they're selling their shares, if they're, you know, if they're given stock and they sell it as soon as possible, that might be a bad sign, right? So so there's signs like that. People look at signs like that to try to get hints on how the company's going to do because because the company's not going to tell. Uh, well, one of the strongest signs people think that the uh, the company is very optimistic about their future is a stock split because nobody wants their stock to go down to a really low price. And say your stock is at 100 bucks today and you do a four-way price. So now four-way split, right? Now it's down to 25 bucks a share. Okay. Like I said, to first order, your investment hasn't changed at all. But now the, now the stock is 25 bucks a share. And then you hit some bad times and the stock drops by 50%, well, now you're down at 12 and a half bucks a share. Whereas before, you'd be down from 100 bucks to 50 bucks a share. Again, your investment, the investment in the two cases is exactly the same, but now you got the stock that's down to like 12 bucks or even worse, if it's like down to a buck, um, that looks really bad. So so no one's ever going to split a stock if they think things aren't going well. That's the thing. That's the perception. Uh, so, but if you think the stock's going to go up, then yeah, you split the stock and it'll, because yeah, you're expecting to go right back back up to where it was. Great. Everybody's happy. Everybody wins. So it's seen as a very bullish sign. Whether it's true or not, it's it's seen that way. And maybe everybody watched that video today. <laughs> I mean, there is a little bit of that that aspect, right? That like in a in a social media, you know, easily Googleable world, stuff like that can spread. Otherwise, 
where would it have been? It would have had to have been on like CNN or maybe, you know, the local CBS station decided to show this video and you happened to catch it. Or as now you're just, you know, not even actively looking for it, but like, oh, look, it's trending. Everybody's retweeting this video. Let me, let me take a look and maybe I might get, uh, get involved. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, kids. I think it's time for me to unplug. All right. Hit the, tra- hit the happy trail. <laughs> happy trail. Yeah. Just, and I got to put the two pieces of show together again and away we go all right, All right we'll talk to you guys later right, talk to you later yeah. bye, bye. bye.